Welcome to From City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of City College of New York. From City to the World is a show about how the work we're doing at City College matters to people across the city and throughout the world. So over the course of this program, we've discussed the practical applications of our research in solving real-world problems like poverty and homelessness and mental health challenges, affordable housing, really disparities of all kinds. Today, we are doing a special show. We are, we are barely 24 hours away from the news that General Powell uh, passed away. This is a moment of tremendous sadness on this campus. General Powell was a graduate of City College class of, of 1958, describes his trajectory at City College as he kind of wandered around a little bit in his first years, discovered the ROTC, joined the Pershing Rifles, which is a group within the ROTC, and found his place, found his place on the campus, found his place in the world, and went off to achieve all of the things that, that he, is, he is renowned for. Um, national Security Advisor, when he was very, very young, um, at the time the youngest one-star general, named to as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under George Bush, being named to that position, leapfrogged over 14 more senior uh, generals to him, eventually named first African-American Secretary of State, as he was the first African-American Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. On this campus, he is remembered uh, both as, without question, one of our most illustrious alums, but also as somebody who came back to the college and contributed to the development of students in, in really a monumental way. Um, in 1997, he essentially gave permission to the college to use his name in founding the Colin Powell Center for Policy Studies, as it was initially called. Um, in 2002, when I became involved in the Colin Powell Center, we, um, we renamed it the Colin Powell Center for Service and Learning. And that the center went through a number of different um, name changes and emphases in what it was doing. Eventually, in 2011 and 2012, we decided to take the center, which had grown vastly from its, its, its initial iteration, where we were running a fellowship program for about eight undergraduates. Uh, by 2012, we were running programs for over 100 students and faculty. And we decided that it was time to take the Colin Powell Center and turn it into a Colin Powell School, meaning that we would take the co-curricular activities that were being run out of the center and um, link them to the degree-granting activities of the Division of Social Science. And so in that move, the Colin Powell School combined the ethos of the Colin Powell Center, the emphasis on student leadership development and service and, and, and working with the community, with the work that had been going on um, for years and years in the Division of Social Sciences. And these departments are the Psychology Department, the Sociology Department, Political Science, Economics, Anthropology, International Studies, um, and soon after that, Women's Studies, Latin American and Latino Studies. And so the Colin Powell School for Civic and Global Leadership um, bears his name. 
and certainly the imprint of his influence. Um, there's a lot more to talk about in the relationship between uh, General Powell and, and City College, and we'll be doing that today. I'm really pleased to have um, as my guests today a fuller a fuller uh, menu of guests than, than we normally have. Three individuals who, alongside myself, worked very closely with General Powell over the years. Andy Rich is, is currently the, the dean of the Colin Powell uh, School for Civic and Global Leadership. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is back when I was first director and Andy was an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science, he was also the, uh, the deputy director of the Colin Powell Center and, and worked very closely with me um, in setting up the Colin Powell Center at that time. Uh, Trevor Hauser uh, is uh, he's a partner with the Rhodium Group, and he leads the firm's energy and climate practice. And I'll say a little bit more about him later on in the show. But he was one of the inaugural Colin Powell Fellows um, back in, in those early days, 2004, 2005, 2006, um, but is currently a member of the Colin Powell School Board, and he is also directing the the Climate Policy Fellows Program uh, here at City College. And then finally, uh, making her third appearance on my show, Didi Mozaleski is the uh, Vice President for Advancement and Communications at CCNY and also serves as my senior advisor and was, apart from myself, the closest person uh, on campus involved in moving the Colin Powell Center into its current positioning as, as the Colin Powell School for Civic and Global Leadership. So I want to thank all three of you for taking time out to spend the morning with me talking and thinking about General Powell's legacy at CCNY. And what I'd like to do is just kind of go through a conversation with each, each one of you in the order that I introduced you and talk a little bit about who General Powell was in your life and what he meant uh, to the campus of City College. So, so Andy, I wonder if I can... Um, start with you and, and first kind of just give you an opportunity to talk about um, what it's been like for you working with, with, with General Powell on, on campus. Well, thanks. Thanks for including me in the conversation. And, um, you know, honestly, working with General Powell has been kind of the honor of a lifetime. I remember the very early days of you putting the Colin Powell Center together. And, and, I, and I remember coming to ask you not long after I got here as a professor, could I help? And you, you found a place for me. And, um, and then, but at the time, General Powell wasn't, you know, he was a little busy being Secretary of State. And, um, and it wasn't until a little while after that, that I, I remember he came to visit and to check what, you know, what are, what are y'all doing in my name? And um, I remember being incredibly nervous, um, unsure what to expect. Um, I think we'd already gotten the word, and I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago when he did this event with us, that he, he wasn't a fan of think tanks. And funny enough, my own academic work had been about think tanks. I'm like, well, he's never going to like me uh, or my ideas. And, and he came and he was just disarmingly humble, kind, engaging, actually interested in us and, and, and most of all interested in our students. I remember kind of being just um, kind of stunned at how easy it was to be in a room with him and how... Um, how genuine and authentic he was in his belief in the institution. 
and um, and I know I, I know we all remember kind of this early meeting where he he met with a group of our fellows and um, and really realized that the students we have today are just like who he was back in the 1950s, and that was that moment where he recommitted himself to the institution. But I honestly think he was he never stopped being committed to the institution from the time he went there, and and somehow that's my strongest memory. It's just that he. Um, I had the chance to work with him at the early days of the center, and now again, of course, as dean. And through it all, I, his his devotion to the institution, and most of all to our students, it seems, just never never wavered. It was it was kind of obvious to him. And no matter what challenges we all faced in trying to move different programs forward, he was there to guide and steer us. And um, and he really set the example of leadership that I think is at the center of of what was first the center and now is the school. Yeah, I remember that first board meeting. We had um, we had inherited from the original iteration of the Colin Powell Center a board that that really hadn't met since it was first conceived five years earlier. And so one of the first things we did was sit down with General Powell and kind of go through his Rolodex and and think about who he wanted to bring on the board. And it's it, it's an interesting thing, right? When you're asking this man to ask his friends to come. And, and serve the college. So I, I think you and I both had a clear sense in that first board meeting as we prepared this elaborate PowerPoint um, that we needed, we needed to make a case for the school and for our vision for the school. But also, you know, you think about who was in the room in that first meeting. And, uh, you know, Barbara Walters was there and Steve Schwartzman was there and Henry Kissinger was there and Fareed Zakaria was there, and then all of our illustrious alumni were there. I just have a clear memory of you and I putting a PowerPoint presentation together that was probably a little too long and practicing mm -hmm. it like we were going to debut on Broadway, and then getting in the room with him and seeing how, how proud he was to be able to show the people he had brought to City College, what it was like at his alma mater, and 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 his sense that we were doing something different. That you're, you're right. His, his pride in the institution he came from never wavered, and I think it was a real remarkable element of his his relationship to what we did. You, you know, we ran together, and now you by yourself um, ran this remarkable board. And I wonder now that you're dean of the Colin Powell School, and in some sense have inherited the legacy of it. Can you talk a little bit about what what it means to you to be running this board, you know, with General Powell, but now in his name? It's an extraordinary board of, of folks who are a combination of leaders from industry, media, culture, politics, government, um, many of whom are our alums, but many of whom are just devoted to General Powell. And, um, and, you know, thinking back to that first meeting, you know, I, I do remember how much work we put into that PowerPoint and, and how nervous we were and how much we thought was riding on it. And, and my memory, and this I think affirmed by so many other meetings then with General Powell was, it was his passion for this place. He signaled from, from the very beginning that this place mattered to him and therefore he hoped it mattered to all of the other folks gathered. And, um, and, it, and it instantly registered with them. And I'm not sure it would have mattered so much anything you and I said at that meeting as, as the passion and commitment he showed for the place. And, and my, my recollection is, you know, this was going on almost 18, 19 years ago. 
the college was just kind of climbing out of a difficult moment for CUNY and for City College. And, um, and his pride uh, did more um, than anything I, I remember in, in making me feel proud to be at this institution. Um, and, and I think that's what he's done for the board and he's done it for our faculty, our staff, our students, so many alums. I, in fact, I got so many notes from, from former fellows yesterday who, who remarked on how proud they were to be participants in, in a fellowship program that had his name on it. It was really quite nice. But what struck me then about having this board is, um, is how um, he, I don't, I don't know that they needed to be won over, but boy, it was all of them have, I think, become passionate um, advocates for what City College stands for, what we do, our students, and about creating opportunities for our students, um, to, as General Powell always liked to, to describe it, get south of, of 59th Street, to get, to, get, to get the kind of opportunities that he thinks too often City College students haven't had professionally. And, um, and I feel like we now have a board who, is, um, who matches his commitment and his passion and his, his energy that we make sure that, um, that we're there for every student we teach. You mentioned how much you and I thought were riding on our presentation, and, and there, there was some truth to that, but probably not as much as we thought. Probably he came to City College determined to make the Colin Powell Center an important endeavor, and he was going to drag us and everybody else in that room uh, forward. I, I, I remember, in fact, even before the Colin Powell Center was was established, Whenever there was a scholarship program, we, we have the Rangel scholarship program that was a congressional appropriation that would give young people from underserved communities and in colleges an opportunity to do fully funded graduate work and so go into the Foreign Service. That was inaugurated when he was Secretary of State, and it was going to be housed in New York City at Columbia University. And I remember clearly getting the news that General Powell said, you got to go 20 blocks north of, of, of Columbia University. This needs to have an anchor in my college, in City College. And, and so we now have those Wrangell fellowships that, that we continue to give out. And the same thing with the Diplomat in Residence program. This is a program mm -hmm. started on his watch where um, in a very small number of colleges around the country, I forget whether it's a dozen or, or, or eight, there, a diplomat comes and spends a year or two years working with students. And General Paul insisted that one of the places where uh, you know this would happen, precisely because the program was about diversifying the Foreign Service, that it had to have an anchor in in CCNY. So I think you're right. He uh, he came to us committed to making this work at this college because of of what it did for him and 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 what he knew it could do for other generations uh, of students. It always struck me in these meetings and in our interactions with him how much of a, of a teacher he was with, with students, but also with you and I. And I, I just wonder, as you reflect back on your work with him, what did you learn from him? You know, I do think I kind of learned how, how to be a leader. Um, I, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about these last 24 hours is his positive spirit and his optimism. You know, I don't think any of us here today can imagine the challenges he faced professionally as the first black American in every senior post he had. And he, he whatever challenges they were, he, he wore them with grace and dignity. And, and so many people have, have mentioned this to me in the last 
day. And it, it, it strikes me, we, when I became Dean, one of the first things I did was frame his 13 rules. If, if, uh, if you remember, he's got these 13 rules of leadership. I think that the last one is something like optimism is a force multiplier. And um, I, I feel like all of those rules resonate with me, but that one does in particular. Um, and he helped me understand how um, each of us has the ability to take things in a positive direction or, or not positive direction. And, and, and it helped me realize, I guess, my own power in that, which I think we often underestimate, particularly in academia. Um, and um, I feel like he did that with both of us. And, he, and, and, and frankly, somehow, and, and, and I couldn't, I can't put my finger on what he ever said to us that made me made me figure that out. But I'll tell you one thing is that I, I sensed early on that he actually had confidence in us, even though he didn't even really know us at first. And that confidence did as, as much as anything to help me feel like, okay, so we, we now have this obligation to carry this forward in his name. And um, I took a lot from, from those early experiences. He did. Um, he had confidence in us. And I think, you know, one of the ways that it was shown, he brought us into his network. You know, pretty soon uh, his, his right hand, Peggy, Peggy Sofrino, was available to us and she would confide in us things that were happening in his life that we needed to be aware of. And, you know, very, very quickly, I think the college and those of us that worked with him got included in, you know, what he called the Powell family. And that meant apart from anything else, I don't know if you remember, we had to abide by Powell family rules and, and, and the top Powell family rule was, you know, nobody speaks for general Powell. Right. Nobody speaks for General Powell. We don't broker, um, you know, people that wanted him to do one thing or another. We would pass those on, but we we never got between him and the rest of the world. And and you know what a what a great. I mean, cer certainly it was those were clear instructions for how you and I were supposed to behave, and we followed them. I think for you know every day that we worked with him, but also a clear idea that you have to. You have to think about how you want to navigate the world when you when you achieve a position of leadership. You're right. He never never sort of sat us down and said, you know, gentlemen, let me give you a lesson in leadership. But it's just impossible to have sat in a room with him through these meetings, through these board sessions, without thinking, this is how you navigate responsibility. You know, and, and you're right. He brought Peggy in and, 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 you know, it was, it's been a treasure working with her all these years. And he brought his daughter, Linda Powell right. in. And I remember thinking, and at the very beginning, he did that. And I thought, my gosh, he's bringing his family to the table. He's bringing some of his closest friends to the table. Like he's incredibly serious about this and we better get it right. Yeah. Um, and it's been, you know, that, that, that certainly um, resonated very quickly. I'd like to now though, turn and speak a little bit with Trevor Hauser. I mentioned he was a partner with the Rhodium Group, but he also co-directs that organization's Climate Impact Lab, and that's a collaboration of leading research institutions that combine climate, economic, uh, and, and data sciences to quantify climate risk around the world. And he's brought that sense of the need to bring the science of climate change and an economic analysis of climate change to his work at the Colin Powell Center of founding and now directing the Climate Policy Fellows Program. Um, Trevor was also a visiting fellow at the Peterson Institute. Um, he was on leave during 2009 from Rhodium to serve as a senior advisor 
United States State Department. When he was a City College student, he was a State Department intern in China. And so, uh, and, and now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, he is a member of the Colin Powell School Board. So he has been engaged in our project, both as a, a participant in our programs, as a, an advisor and a, and a director of our programs, and as, as one of the generators of, of a really exciting initiative that's in its, I think, third third or fourth year right now. Trevor, welcome to the show, and thank you for, for being here today. Thanks, Vince. Thanks so much for, me including, for including me. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to talk about those um, those early days. When I took over the Colin Powell Center, um, as I said, it was a center for policy studies, and it was really spending most of its activity convening conferences and, 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 and supporting uh, policy research on campus. I had a pretty clear sense that one of the things that was really lacking on campus at the time was a program that would allow students via support and exposure to develop leadership capabilities and, and, and service. At the time, we were saying accurately that the average city college student worked an average of 30 hours a week. And there was very little on campus that provided the kind of comprehensive support that I envisioned for Colin Paul fellows. And, and so you were um, a member of the first cohort and a participant in that initial meeting with General Paul. He talks about that meeting often with great emotion all the time. He talks about meeting you and the seven other inaugural Colin Paul fellows as really demonstrating to him that he was on the right path and, and, and coming back. I know it's a long time ago, but, but I wonder if you can um, flip that picture around a little bit and think about what it was like as a City College student, um, not so much to participate in the program, but to interact with you know this guy who's done all these things in the world and has come back specifically to support City College students. Yeah, you and Andy were talking about how uh, intimidating it was for you guys to meet him for the first time. <laughs> you know, the eight of us were, most were uh, immigrants, most first-generation college students. We had applied to the fellowship program because we had a general interest in public policy and public service. You know, but I don't think any of us had ever even met like a community board. Number. Right. <laughs> no one in our no one in our lives worked in policy, uh, and uh, and we had no idea how to, how to even approach that kind of career. And so to have your first meeting with any public official of any kind, be you know former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, <laughs> current Secretary of State, was uh, um, was really intimidating. And and but the kind of magic of General Powell, like you were talking about, was um, he had what I didn't know to be unique at the time, uh, but came to learn that it was quite unique, was not a superficial interest in the students, but like really a deep, deep curiosity and passion about each of our individual lives what brought us to City College, what our story was, what we wanted to do. You know, and he would remember that uh, when he'd meet us again a year later or two years later, uh, he, he carried it with him. And, and for us, the way he would talk about his time at City, being a bad student, 
taking a while to figure out what it was that he really wanted to do. In addition to just referencing the kind of day-to-day -day things that come with going to school at City made, um, you know, I don't want to say that it made us believe that a career path like his was possible because that's fantastical <laughs> in many ways, but it, but it, it opened up realm of the possible for us for sure. And, um, uh, and really gave us a sense that city was us, that we had, we had been fortunate to happen upon an institution that was a special and powerful place. If we wanted to take advantage of what I had, uh, of what I had to offer. Well, you know, you mentioned his attention and interest in students and Andy, said something the same. There's something, I don't know that I've ever told you this, but it goes back to that very first meeting. You know, we had this this meeting and, you know, this board meeting. And then afterwards we had a kind of celebratory inaugural lunch in, you know, one of our beautiful rooms in Shepherd 250. And we had arranged the tables so that every table had, you know, one or two board members and, and one or two students. And I remember you you came into the program interested in China and knowing a great deal about China and ravenous to learn more. And I remember you being seated at a table with Jack Rudin, who was one of our inaugural board members, big supporter of City College, um, an initial financial supporter of the Colin Paul Center as well, but you know, made his reputation as a builder. And General Paul and I were standing just a few feet behind your table and you were interrogating Jack Rudin. You had some statistic about the proportion of cranes that were in Shanghai at that moment. And, and you were asking him about, you know, a mode of construction, whether it was hollow block. I mean, it was very, very detailed about, you know, how do you, famous New York City builder, think the Chinese are navigating the construction of Shanghai? I remember Paul was eavesdropping on the conversation and and he pulled it he pulled he pulled me away and said see that's what i'm talking about if we can get our students in a room with people where they can talk about you know how their interests intersect with what they're going to do um then we've got the whole ball game so i think two things are remarkable about that i think one thing is that you <laughs> that you came to that lunch uh prepared to grill Jack Rudin on Chinese building practices. So, you know, kudos to you. Um, but Powell was spending his time in that room listening to the way students were interacting with the people that he, he brought in. And he was monstrously pleased with, with, with what he heard, not just at, at your table, but, but as he moved around the room. The reason why I would have come to that meeting prep to talk about China is actually because of a different program that General Powell had set up at the uh, at the college, which you mentioned, so the Diplomats in Residence right. program, um, which played as important of a role in shaping my career and life as the, as the fellowship program did. And, and just a little bit of extra background on that for people listening, um, because I, this goes to what was the most durable lesson for me from having the privilege to know General Powell uh, over the past 20 years. Um, so he goes from, in 2001, I guess, from the um, Defense Department to the State Department and notices something very different. State Department, Defense Department, uh, the Armed Services holds from all parts of American society. Mm -hmm. 
all economic classes, all races and ethnicities. I think it's the State Department and he notices how how many of our foreign service officers come from just a small number of Ivy League schools. Mm-hmm. And that that's the face of America that we're putting out there in the world. And he, one of the first things he does as Secretary of State is take on this mission of broadening recruitment to the Foreign Service so that the face America presents to the world is more representative of the actual face of America. And so he sets up this program with, you know, at the time, I think 10, as you mentioned, senior foreign service officers who would spend a year at one of 10 public universities around the country recruiting for the Foreign Service. And we were lucky enough to have one of the first 10, and it was a career Asia diplomat guy named Mark Minton. And he taught um, a class on uh, UN peacekeeping uh, that I took and got to know him. And before that, I had no, I had, you know, as much clarity about what I wanted to do with my life as any undergrad at that level and wanted to study something generally in the economics, international economics area. And it was Mark Minton who really guided me towards China studies and um, and then uh, secured an internship for me, as you as you mentioned in the intro at the at the uh, embassy in, in Beijing um, through the State Department. And 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 I saw Mark Minton take the mission that had been given to him by General Powell of being a fierce advocate for students. I saw him take that very much to heart and he would, you would go by his office and he would be on the phone screaming at some (laughs) State Department employee somewhere in the world about how City College students were the best students they could imagine and they really needed to take a City College student as an intern and uh, and he did that on my behalf and on the behalf of dozens of other other students and and for me that story is important because it um, that's the kind of work that that's the unglamorous, slow, challenging institutional transformation work mm-hmm. that I think normally cabinet officials don't try to take on, at least not early in their yeah. tenure, because the fruits of it are going to come far after you're gone and you're not going to get any recognition. It's much less glamorous than negotiating a new international agreement. Um, but that he chose to make that the first thing he did yeah. at the State Department um, is really a testament to his integrity and the legacy that he's left um, in uh, in so many of us who benefited from those programs. He, you know, it's it's true. A lot of people would go into the State Department and and think immediately that the first task was external. You mentioned his work to try to diversify the Foreign Service. But he did, you know, things as as basic as as getting, you know, the whole State Department, the diplomatic corps, on computers that would talk to each other. And he talked about that his whole life, about how significant it was to look into the systems of the State Department and make sure that they were that they were working and that, that they were, as, as you say, representative. I want to ask you, Trevor, um, about what it's been like for you to come back as a as a board member and to see. You know, both to make your own imprint on the Colin Powell School, but but to to come in and see General Powell's operation as a as, as board chair, and you know how you know your relationship with him may have changed, or how 
your observations of, of, of his involvement in the college from those early days, uh, how maybe things have changed in your life. What's it been like to come back to, to campus? What has been most noteworthy to me over the past few years, uh, getting more engaged again at City, both through the Climate Policy Fellowship Program and, and being on the Board of Visitors, is how General Powell's level of involvement, passion, commitment to the students and the college only grew in the 20 years after that first meeting. Yeah. And uh, the amount of energy that he continued to bring to try to put in place the systems that would actually give City College students the tools they needed for the kind of mobility professionally that he saw. It, it would have been plenty <laughs> for him to just serve as a model, as a person right, over the years to come give talks at the school, be a source of inspiration where students could maybe see themselves in him. But he knew that that modeling, while critical, is not sufficient, that you needed programs and infrastructure. Uh, and his commitment to building that, um, to really using the relationships that he had built up over his career, people who had enormous dedication and commitment and loyalty to him, to use that precious commodity on behalf of the students at City College. Um, and uh, uh, and just how actively he was doing that, um, you know, right up through this year, uh, and it just was a. It's been a tremendous honor to be able to uh, play a small role in that vision that he has for the college. Um, to try to, for me, figure out what was what was a way that I could contribute in a small way in the manner that General Powell had, and to. Uh, help bring to the Board of Visitors some perspective of a student who had benefited from those programs and just why they were so transformative um, in, uh, in the lives and career prospects of City College students. I want to, um, first of all, thank you, Trevor, for, for that. And pivot now, um, our third guest is, is Didi Mozaleski. I hired Didi Mozaleski when I was the director of the Colin Powell Center, and we were still in the process of doing a fundraising campaign, we thought, to build Colin Powell Hall on campus. And Dee Dee has, has worked with me as, as the Director of Advancement at the Colin Powell Center and then at the school. When I came into the President's office, she came with me uh, both to direct our, our development operation and our communication operation, in fact, combine those two and has served throughout as my senior uh, advisor. And she came in, something Trevor has been talking about, General Powell's attention to the operations of a system. Uh, she came in at a time when you know, we had been asked and we'd taken on the, the, the challenge of building Colin Powell on campus and the cost of that project, our fundraising burden, over the course of about three years evolved from about $12 million that we were to have raised to $81 million. And every time the builders or the architects or the construction manager 
would would come to us and say, you know, it's not going to be twelve million dollars; it's going to be twenty-five, or it's not going to be twenty-five million dollars; it's going to be forty-five. I would get on a train and go down to Washington and have a meeting with General Powell. Andy, it was you that quoted his thirteenth rule of leadership, which is perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. I'm going to tell you that rule was a great comfort to me as I was on that ride going to give him yet again the news that our fundraising goal had moved. He never never lost his cool, never lost his perspective, never failed to say, okay, if you want to do this, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going until the very end when you know we sat down with, with one another. And the president of City College and I had, had a conversation uh, to this effect, and I brought it down to Washington, where, where we said, if we're going to do a fundraising campaign to build an $81 million building all on philanthropy, we won't be able to have the resources to fund the programs that have been so meaningful to the college and the students. And so let's do something different. Let's talk to the people who had contributed to the building fund and see if they would be willing to convert that money to fund the creation of the Colin Powell School for Eventually, we called it the Colin Powell School for Civic and, and Global Leadership. He was enthusiastic about it. All of our donors enthusiastically ratified that decision. So we were off. And, and so the person who was at my side and at General Powell's side during that transition is my next guest, Didi Mozaleski. And Didi, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your memories of that campaign for the school, what, what stood out for you and particularly you know, General Powell's role in that campaign. Sure. So first of all, thank you um, for having me back again. But may I also say, it's really nice to hear all three of you say your first interactions, you were nervous going into them. And and I, I, I should share this with, with Andy and Trevor. When when Vince was doing my, my second to last interview, we had just walked out of meeting with the, the then president. And he said, okay, it's time for you to go down to DC. I'd like you to meet General Powell and Peggy. And, and whatever you do, Pull yourself together before you get there. <laughs> and I thought, okay, no problem. Um, and then I spent two weeks pulling myself together, and even that wasn't enough. So I just I feel like I'm in really good company right now. But but how was the meeting? The meeting was really good. So I got very lucky. General Powell was in the middle of an interview with Essence Magazine when I got there. So the office was bus, you know, just bustling, and and that kind of diffused my need to be nervous because he was so busy. And he stopped the interview. He came over. He introduced himself. You see it with people where they say, you know, you meet this person, the whole room is electrified. And you think, yeah, sure, that's, that's probably not true. You walk into a room with General Powell, and he had two, two things happened. The room was electric, and he had a way of making you think that he was only talking to you. I was pretty sure that I was far more nervous than I tried to give off, and I bet you he knew exactly how nervous I was. But I don't know if you remember this. We sat down. We talked about the job. We talked about what was bringing me to City College, what was hopefully bringing me to City College, and he immediately um, moved on to other things. My ex-husband uh, was in the Marine Corps, and you know, years and years earlier, it was General Powell and Schwarzkopf who who really inspired the the unit that my husband was a part of. Um, they're part of Desert Storm and Desert Shield, and I remember thinking that of all the ways in which um, my friends, my ex-husband, didn't love the military. They believed that these two gentlemen were, were sending them to a place where they were doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about that a little bit. And we talked a little bit about, about um, my Russian last name. And that's where we all learned that I don't speak Russian, but General Powell did. 
And it was a great interview. And what you and he said to me in, in slightly different ways with the same intention was, did I want to come here and help you build a school? And if I came here, what would make me different from other candidates? And I don't know if you remember my answer. I don't. Um, it, Must have worked. Apparently so. Um, we talked about legacy building. And if we were doing something that would only matter a few years out, I probably wasn't the right candidate. But if you wanted something that was going to outlast all of us, then I hope to be the person that you picked. Mm-hmm. And I remember you ushered me out of the room, um, met me down the street, and you know walked into the Starbucks and said, so you want to come help, help us build a school? And that first meeting, for about six weeks, all we did was prepare for the first board meeting where we were going to introduce this idea of the Colin Powell Center and the social sciences merging into one. And we spent every day for six weeks fine-tuning this narrative of how we were going to inspire the rest of this board to understand this transition um, and, and to pivot away from what would have been you know, an, in, an independent building on campus with no students associated with it to this thing that it is now, which is a... Um, you know, a lifeblood of a, of a university system, um, a place where thousands of students interact, um, a place where faculty and staff are, they operate differently than they could have without having this, you know, the school being built. So, so I look back on that, that six weeks and I think I got so lucky, but but even I wasn't prepared for the way General Powell was thinking about the changes across the infrastructure of the college. You know, things he tasked us with early on, um, ways in which we communicate, um, the ways in which we thought about how how the name was going to be developed, um, the ways in which we thought about infrastructure and staffing. Um, I, I don't know that any of us were quite prepared for that level of detail to be coming our way. No, no, I don't, I don't think we were. I, I, and we'll talk about that in a second. I, I do want to go back to that, that interview, though, because as you say, you walked out of the room and I stayed behind. And um, what you didn't know is that that answer about legacy building was what what ended the interview for general powell the you know, he was he was thinking he said it then and he said it to me a number of other times that that he believed when all is said and done his contribution is going to be that in every phase of his life he was teaching and educating and guiding young people young soldiers young diplomats young students, and he wanted that to be his legacy. He wanted people to look beyond the details or the particularities of the individual jobs and say, you know, this is a man who, as we all know, born of Jamaican immigrants, grew up in the Bronx, and made his way through a public education system into a life of great accomplishment. And he he wanted that to be um, front and center in his legacy. And when you talk to him about legacy building, he thought, you know, this is this right, this is what we're doing at, at the Pollen Center. Could, could we talk a little bit about the infrastructure stuff? Oh, Andy? Can I just weigh in with one, I think, kind of nice story that relates to that, though, which is okay. he was about the legacy building and the legacy building for himself. But one thing that struck me when I came back as dean and I asked him, you know, I just assumed he wanted to give remarks at, at our commencement because he always attended every commencement yeah. at the Colin Powell School. And he said, oh, no. He said, I don't want to be the center of attention. Yeah. And he, in, in the times I've been here, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even go on stage. He shook every student's hand, but he didn't want to be on stage. And, and we used to joke. Um, I was like, well, the school is named for you after all. And he's like, no, no, this is about the students. This is about 
to work. And I just thought it was a real lesson in, in him and his leadership. Yeah, and I think, you know, but when you and I were getting started and, you know, you talked about the confidence they had in us. But I remember, for whatever reason, we we understood that this was going to be about the work. And, and, and I remember sitting with you and saying, we're going to have him, his attention, his support, um, as long as we keep in mind that he's here because he values the mission. And on the one hand, we, we better live up to that. But on the other hand, as long as we do, we're going to have his, his engagement and, and, and his support. Dean, let's talk a little bit about, you know, everybody in one way or another has mentioned his attention to sort of the organizational, operational infrastructure of, of the school. And, and you came in at a time when, you know, the college was, was troubled. I, I think in ways that most people didn't see, we had some infrastructure issues that we needed to solve if we were going to be successful in building the school. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, but also talk about General Powell's receptivity to, to what we presented to him really as a kind of daunting task at, at fixing some things that, that needed some desperate attention. You know, uh, those conversations taught me something very valuable here, and that was uh, put the bad news up front. Um, and. And I don't know if you, I don't know if, Andy, if you had this when you were um, working with Vince, but Vince, early on, you said to me, don't be surprised if you don't get direct emails from General Powell. Yeah. And I said, no worries. Sounds good. <laughs> um, and then Peggy warned me, don't be surprised if he forgets to copy you or, you know, you, know, you hear from me, not General Powell. And um, we had just finished our presentation to, to Cy Sternberg, mm -hmm. who, um, a board member of, the, of this Colin Powell Center, board member of the Colin Powell School, foundation board member, and a graduate of our engineering program. And um, he had written to General Powell. And I was standing outside in a snowstorm with two of my friends when an email popped up that just said CP. So I stood for a few seconds, like CP, CP, who's CP? And then I opened it, and I stood in the snowstorm for 10 more minutes because General Powell had sent me an email to ask a question about this infrastructure we were talking about designing. And then I remember calling you and saying, can I answer this? And being so nervous that get it right. But we put the bad news up front. Um, the bad news was we didn't really have an infrastructure. There were no financial systems in place. There was a pathway forward to build a school. And then the, the inside of the school had to be fully developed. And every step of the way, he not only supported, um, engaged, um, learned about it, but he pushed us. He pushed us to think bigger to be more broadly focused, to be really hypersensitive, that we weren't trying to do too much at the same time. Um, but you know this, um, we, you know, right down to how we talked about ourselves on our, on our website, um, General Powell was keyed into that, mm -hmm. and how we, how we welcomed people into the, the new Colin Powell School, he was keyed in on that. Gentlemen, I should say, keyed in so deeply that I used to joke that we were going to cancel the internet um, subscription for the world um, to give us time to catch up. I'll fill in the blank there. He would, I would say more frequently than periodically, send a note to Didi about you know, something he had noticed that was wrong with our webpage, you know, something that was inaccurate or it wasn't as prominently displayed. Um, so he was, he was deeply involved in kind of going over how we were presenting the face of the school and making sure that it was as attractive and accurate as it could possibly be. And most of that fell on your shoulders to deal with. And it was good. He, 
it was a good reminder that the things that we were doing on the academic side couldn't be insular to ourselves, that, that there had to be a pathway. You wanted students to know that there was a door they could walk through. And, and you can get bogged down with you know, governance, and you can get bogged down with staffing or infrastructure. But at the end of the day, the idea was that students should find their way into the Golden Palace School, and we should be there when they're ready to come through. Right. That's right. So speaking of students being ready to come into the Colin Powell School, uh, you talked about your husband and how important the integrity of General Powell was and General Schwarzkopf in, in motivating his service. But you have another family member that, that uh, had some involvement with the Colin Powell School, and I wonder if you can talk about seeing the school and General Powell through her eyes. Sure, and, and I should say we we often um, joked that without Desert Storm, there would be no Akasha. Um, we, her, her father and I were dating, you know, during um, during the lead up to Desert Storm. And when his division got called up, we, we fast-tracked our wedding. And then I didn't see him for a year. And a few months after he returned, Akasha came along. She had started, like many students, um, she wanted to get away from home. She was ready to leave after high school. She She couldn't figure out how far away across the country she could get. She settled at Penn State, and, and she loved it. You know, I thought she was having a really good time at Penn State. But, and I, and I often say this, Penn State wasn't designed to build New Yorkers. It was designed to build Pennsylvanians. And so there were lots of ways in which Akasha stood out. Um, you know, she stood out um, in her thinking. She stood out in her upgrade bringing. She stood out with looking different, you know, thinking different. And I asked her to volunteer at a Colin Powell School board meeting one morning, just help me set up, come in early, get ready, everything ready. And before the board meeting, as General Powell was talking with all the students that were there and the you know, facilities crew and the public safety crew, he, um, he saw Kasha and he introduced himself and asked her where she went to school. And she said, you know, I go to Penn State. And, and I didn't know this was happening. He looked at her and said, well, why aren't you coming to my school? And he told her a little bit about the Colin Powell School. And we weren't open more than six months when this conversation happened. And I had been begging the child to come home for about a year. And she never said a word to me. And then that weekend, she called me and said, Mommy, can I come home? I want to go to your school. And I said, well, why do you want to go to my school? Well, General Powell said it's the best place for me. We're getting to the end of the time that we have for the show. But I want to go back over um, each of the three of you and just ask you if there was something that you wanted to leave us with and thinking about the relationship between this remarkable man in our school, what would that be? Andy, you wanna you wanna start? For me, I, I think it's the pride he had in our students and our mission and our purpose. Every day, it inspires me um, to do the work we're doing, and um, and it reminds me why it's so important. And he carried that everywhere he went. I'm just struck by how many people across the nation and around the world know about the Colin Powell School because it's what he most enjoyed talking about. And that sits with me. He loved being from the Bronx. He loved having a story of working class beginnings. And he loved the fact that his road to success ran through public institutions in general and, and, and City College in particular. He was never more happy than when he was able to tell someone who had asked whether he had graduated from West Point or, or an Ivy League school that he graduated from City College. Trevor? 
I think related to that, um, that that you, when you're a trailblazer, that you have an obligation to broaden the road behind you. Yeah. But that what you really could see in him was that that's not a burden, but a joy. That that can be one of the greatest joys in your life. And that was apparent every moment that you were with him at City. That being at City, being with the students, broadening that road was one of the great joys of his life. Yes. Dee Dee. I think it was watching people who didn't think um, a traditional path was for them meet him. Um, we used to do this all the time, right? He would walk around the neighborhood when he was here, and you'd see people who were, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, and they would meet him, and they'd be in tears because they were so proud of him. And then you'd see him talk with students, and they'd be so excited that there was a pathway for someone who looked like them to come here or to do great things. You know, I said this to Akasha last night. We always talk about coming to city can change your destiny, but it also changes your family's destiny. I think he never lost sight of saying that to people. Um, he was changed because of city. Others could be changed because of city. And, and I should just add this, that he never failed to say how proud he was of his colleagues, and, and he meant all of you. Right? Um, I remember investiture and, and watching him sort of you know, navigate the, the hundreds of people we had in the Great Hall and in, and in Shepherd. Um, and I watched in a Daniel, because he was so proud of the work that, that you were all doing. And that's why he was able to be so proud of what was going on at the Cobalt School. He trusted, he engaged, he encouraged, but he, he was also filled with pride. Um, and, I, and I think that matters now to, to people as they learn about us now. It's going to be through the lens of his pride for the place. These last few days, there's been a lot about General Paul. One of the things that gets replayed a lot is his commencement speech at Howard University in the early 1990s when he, he said, and he said it every time there was a crisis, people would ask him about you know, what to do in the face of anti-immigration backlash or anti-Muslim backlash or, 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 or uh, discrimination and, and racial violence. And his answer was always, you know, America is stronger than this. Don't, don't, don't get too upset. You know, be upset, but don't for a moment lose faith in America. Uh, he said it at Howard. He said it to me a number of times when I would ask him about one thing or another that had been troubling in, in, in what was going on in the nation or what was going on in the world. He, he lived this life of perpetual optimism, and, but optimism specifically for America. But when he thought of America, he thought of what America should look like. He thought of City College. So, so he he didn't see his work on this campus as as charity. He didn't see himself as helping, you know, the poor kids of Harlem and the South Bronx, and you know, who who were kind of struggling to get through City College. He saw his work as investing in. The very best thing about the country that he loved. If you missed any part of the show, you can go to ccny.cuny.edu and search the title of the program, From City to the World, to hear this podcast. This version of From City to the World was about really a man who, who embodies that title, a man who went from the city to the world. And we couldn't be more proud of our association with General Colin Powell. This show 
is produced by Angela Harden, and I help out a little bit. And I'm your host, Vince Boudreau. I am proudly the president of General Powell's alma mater, the City College of New York. I hope you'll join us next time for From City to the World. Thank you.